Biggest misunderstood blowjob in the history of film. <laughs> yes, it is. It's, it's yes, it is. I <laughs> know. Oh, <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Howdy. Howdy. Ooh. Today we have a regular ass episode, but more we- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But uh, yes. Please get excited. Um, <laughs> but uh, more to the point, we, we're going to go to into the mailbag today, but we've got a couple other things that we always do and everything. Anybody got a rant in the chamber? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! I'm as mad as hell! You've never seen me very upset. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one that I'm curious about. The Karen phenomenon, okay? Mm-hmm. The... Uh, the, the I wouldn't say recent, but it seems like the multitudinous nature of white women, almost all women, uh, calling out African-American men and women in the most despicable ways, acting like they're going to call the police, um, calling the police, um, going off on these racial, racial tinged, not even tinged, just racially motivated tirades at seemingly innocent people. And it's become like a cottage industry. There's a million of these things out on Twitter in particular. And I'm wondering, I, I, I understand racism has always existed uh, and racism has not gotten better to the, the level that people seem to have thought it was. And so maybe this was always the, the case. But I, my issue is these people, the, these women in this case, seeing a camera being pointed at them and then continuing on their tirade saying the nastiest shit ever. Like I don't, I don't understand it. I don't (laughs) understand it. Why is it's bad to be racist in the first place. So that's, that's bad. But when you see a camera pointed at you, you are going to be shamed into oblivion. Okay. Lose your job and all that stuff. How do you continue doing that? Because I think some of these women don't, internet like uh. i don't think there is one the woman that was at trader trader joe's this was like yeah. a week ago yeah where she refused to wear a mask but she didn't realize she was being filmed and right. as she said some kind of nasty thing and turned you can see her see the camera and her face falls she knows she mm-hmm. knew but, but she was acting that way because she didn't think she was being filmed the ones who are screaming into the phone camera, like my mom would never act like that. But she would also not assume that somebody filming her in a grocery store could spread it virally on Twitter if she did something silly. Oh, she that's doesn't... interesting. They just think that it's a phone pointed at them. They don't really think about the, the I, ramifications I of it. I think some, some of these people don't, don't connect the dots, man. This, um, is, the, this is the question I was going to ask. I, I didn't realize that the Karen phenomenon was relegated to just what you're talking about Barrett. I thought that's that what it's there basically was, become 
has it become that? Because I don't. E- I haven't even seen these rants. I, I mean, I, the only thing that I I've seen is a pro- proliferation of people calling people a Karen, and I always just assume that it's a woman who is complaining about something that you shouldn't complain about, or you or is going over the line about it. What's that dog? Pretty like? clearly. <laughs> No, it pretty clearly has a racial connotation now. I don't okay. know if it always did, but it does now have it. Karen is is a white woman trying to be racist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it it, it kind of peaked, I think, with the the guy in Central Park where yeah, he was the out woman that tried to call the cops on the bird watcher. Right, he was asking her to leash her dog. And she, you know, called 911 and said that uh, an African-American dude was trying to beat her or something like yeah. that. And so that was what the what my Twitter verse, everybody has their own Twitter verse. They kind of uh, dubbed the peak of the, the Karen. Uh, but it's calling, you know, the police on neighborhood barbecues and stuff like that. And it's just crazy. It's crazy. I uh I didn't I ha- yeah I I remember that story though the the only other times that I've actually seen it are people just straight up just calling somebody a Karen and I and I g- generally it's a general thing for me in my in my universe uh like there was the woman who complained like that she's a police officer and she had to wait at McDonald's for her egg McMuffin. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. So, so there's a variety of different things. There's that, there's the thing Jeremy was talking about with Trader Joe's. Uh, and then you have the racial connotation one, which I act, this is news to me. And, and I, and I, I scroll Twitter pretty, pretty, uh, regularly. Um, and yeah, there's uh, one feed that, uh, Rex Chapman. Do you guys ever, ever hear of Rex Chapman? I've, yeah. I've run across him. He's a former basketball player, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and his feed is basically retweeting all of these videos. It's become that recently. He's he's very funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, he always pe- uh, posts videos. Um, but recently, it's been these racial tirades that uh, that people have been filming. And like old women will come out and say, like, you know, get off of my lawn, you whatever racial slur. Mm. And uh, it's amazing. It's it's just mind boggling to me um, seeing it so frequently and seeing it so blatantly. And it gives me little hope for society, I even post pandemic. I also think and this is probably maybe something we'll discuss cutting later. I also think they believe it's OK if the man in the White House sends enough dog whistles that he feels the same way. Yep. That's the, that's the thing, right? There's support be. for this. There's not, it's, you don't get instantly shunned and, and ruined for life for saying something like this. You have a well of support at this point. Yeah. Even the, the two white people in St. Louis that came out with an AI, whatever gun <laughs> and a pistol. So stupid. <laughs> some people were walking down their street. There are people defending them. Oh, I'm sure. Oh yeah, and, sure. And it makes no sense to me, but it is because there there is a feeling among racists that there's support in the government for them. Maddening to me, but that that is part of this problem. Well, yeah, I mean, when you have the the guy screaming out white power and it's retweeted by the president, yeah, there's there's an issue so there. You maybe know? some of them don't even think they're going to be called out. Maybe some of them realize, well, all of these other people on the other end of the spectrum are going to support me, and I'll get you know a GoFundMe for my legal fees or whatever the fuck. 
Mm, wow. I don't know. That is so yeah. depressing. But I mean, you're probably right, but that's so depressing. <laughs> it's weird yeah. to start off with a rant like that on a movie podcast, but I'm well, sorry. I don't it's know. all right. It's it's really, it feels like it feels like every week there's something new to be like, God, where do I where do I begin <laughs> yeah. on all of this all this nonsense? And the problem is is that you know, you you speak out for it, you have a well of support on our side for it, but then you have a well of anti on the other side. There's too mm. many on one side of these things. Well, I'm going to bring us to a very non-political topic. Nice. And I'm going to, I, I think, frustrate Barrett. <clears throat> because I know he has a thing with the spelling of the word judgment. And yeah. that mm. he does not accept an E in that word. Even though well, it is... one E. Yes, he does not accept the, the first of the two E's in the spelling with an E. Fuck off. Um, <laughs> right? But my rant today, I want to talk about language, and I want people to realize that language evolves. And <clears throat> I'm tired of there are two kinds of grammar trolls, people who just always have to correct grammar, and then people who use grammar mistakes to try and make someone else look stupid. So mm. if somebody tweets out something and uses the word irregardless – there will be 20% of the replies saying irregardless is not a word. The mm -hmm. word is regardless. But guess what, folks? Irregardless is a fucking word. It's in <laughs> Webster's Dictionary. It's in the Oxford Dictionary. They added it. Get over it. They added ain't. <laughs> they added dough from Homer Simpson. They added mm -hmm. listicle from internet terminology. <laughs> they added bling. These are all real fucking words. And mm -hmm. I don't want you... Standing on that hill anymore because that hill is basically saying language doesn't evolve, and that's stupid because it does. Get with the program. There you go. There's something, there something uh, oh that I had with with Dicer the other day or about a month ago, where I wrote something in a script and he he said no that's not that's not how it's used and I was I looked it up and I was like yeah that's how it's used and he's like mother well he didn't say motherfucking <laughs> He said, it was like writer. stupid grammar, whatever, you know, fiddly fart. So, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. I do have little things that drive me a little bit crazy. Um, but but I, I also agree that especially on something like Twitter, using somebody's misspelling of your or their or something like that as an, an indicator of their intelligence is fucking ridiculous. Especially on Twitter. Especially yes. on Twitter. <laughs> well, yeah, um, so many things are getting auto-corrected and people are typing things out super fast and, yeah. you know, whatever. I mean, um, I will say this, though. Uh, the times that I do see them being uh, used incorrectly, there is a large landslide of dumb people who do it over the people who are... <laughs> so, yeah. So it's a it's it, it's, it's not, not proof it's not proof that they're unintelligent. I'm just saying <laughs> that they're they're the people who are making the worst points are the ones who always get that shit fucked up. The dumb <laughs> ones are are using those. Yeah, doesn't mean that everybody that uses them that's is correct. Dumb. You can't judge someone's intelligence by that. Um, uh, yeah, I I agree with you, Jeremy. Uh, in 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 many ways, uh, there are things that I don't uh, agree with that the dictionary has done over the years, like making literal not literal. Uh, mm. Literal means figurative now mm -hmm. as well, because so many people used it incorrectly. Now people know that literal doesn't mean literal anymore. 
And did they uh, seriously do that in in the dictionary? They yeah. did. Yeah. And so, oh, so I, 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 I stand with you on the fact that words that people use, as long as you know what they mean, and and they're used correctly in the way that they they are intended. There's no reason to fight against those words like ain't and irregardless and so on and so forth. But right. just because the dictionary does it doesn't make it right either. Because the fucking <laughs> that literal shit drove me up the fucking wall. Uh, well, because the very actual, I mean, you know, you can't that that word has a specific <laughs> meaning. <laughs> you can't make it two meanings. You can't make That's it one thing. <laughs> I think in thirty years it's gonna it's gonna matter a lot less, and they're just trying to reflect the way it never speak. mattered. Let's put it. Let's just make it that because <laughs> nobody ever used that goddamn term correctly. It's when they like used irony, literal. man, nobody uses irony right either. That's true. No. That's true. <laughs> and I would I would like to state for the record: every time you hear me say the word "shop," there's a second P and an E. You just can't see it. Oh uh, nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm still annoyed. At word though, giving me a squiggly red line under ain't and gonna. Well, word I mean, needs fuck, to man? get its shit together and keep up with the dictionaries because I write ain't a lot in sentences yeah. and I hate that red squiggle. Yeah, uh, I do not have a rant. I'm sure that I could uh, conjure one up uh, somehow, some way, but uh, I <laughs> conjure up your anger. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's plenty of things to be upset about. I mean, but there nothing that's worthy of a huge like you know. Come on, people. You know, COVID is at 1.6 RT in Nevada. What the fuck? You know, that. <laughs> I think my rant is that Chris doesn't have a rant. Yeah. Um, well, we got recommends and warns, though, don't we? We do. Oh, heck yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we'll go on to the recommends and warns. Totes amazeballs. They're great. It won the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. I'll uh, I'll start off. I still do the movie thing with the with the buddies that he used to go and uh, go to somebody's house and watch. Uh, we still do this uh, this movie club type of thing. We watch the movies on our own, and then we do a Zoom call and we talk about the movies. And uh, one of the uh, uh, one one of the friends decided to do two silent movies uh uh this past weekend and and uh one of them i really really liked uh it is sunrise from 1927 mm. uh it is fw murnau uh coming in from germany to america to make his first american film and i believe uh because the uh the oscars were a little bit of a different animal back in the day it was one of the first best picture winners uh, it was the first one. It was in the first Oscars ever. It was a Best Picture winner, but it was Best Picture for like something, something. And then there was, I think the the other one was Wings won a Best Picture uh, as well. Oh, they, they had here. separate Best Pictures? Yes. But, uh, but uh, Sunrise is about a couple who are, they're, they're sort of, um, they're they're they've hit a they've hit a they've hit a breaking point they're 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 not uh they're not well the uh the husband is uh cheating on her and the his mistress is like like we need to we need to get out of here and by the way you might as well just kill your wife so that we can be together um and uh so he considers this the the idea is that uh i you know the idea from his mistress is to take her out on a boat 
and and uh and like pretend like it overturned and she drowned and then meanwhile he would swim back and say oh shit the boat overturned what could i do you know she's you know bitches be falling off of water sometimes <laughs> um <laughs> I would love to see the placard come up <laughs> and saying that. Um, so he goes out there and he realizes he can't do it. He, he, he wusses out on it, you know, or he may be a good person. Who knows? I don't know. He considered, he seriously considered doing this though. Um, so, um, uh, after this, uh, his wife, they, he, he, you know, he rows back, his wife runs off, goes into the city and he chases after her and me, and this whole thing is him, him trying to say, I'm sorry, I didn't want, I didn't mean to do this. I didn't want to do this, blah, blah, blah. Sort of a reconciliation type of thing starts occurring. And then it's like the best date that you could ever have with somebody. Like everything that they do, they go, they go to a photographer's place. They go to, uh, they go to a dance hall. They go to a, they go to a, a carnival, all these different things. And they're sort of reaffirming their love as they, as they, as the day moves on. And it's a great movie. Um, uh, it's sort of, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> you, you, you think the worst in humanity at the beginning of it. And by the end of it, you're like, oh, you know what? Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes oh. you need to nearly kill your wife to know <laughs> that you really love her. I thought and for sure you were going to say, and at the very end, the mistress shows up and stabs them both. Yeah. Something tragic. I will say this, uh, uh, not to give anything away for people who want to see it, but um, but uh, there is a scene uh, towards the end that makes you wonder where this is going to end up. Uh, um, uh, so there are, there is some intrigue left even after this, this wonderful day where there it's a reaffir- reaffirmation of, uh, of a couple's love. Janet Gaynor won the first best actress, uh, Oscar for this hmm. performance. And at first you're like, yeah, okay. She, cause she's kind of pushed to the background because she's not really involved in the story. But then once this whole thing g- goes into motion, uh, you, you, you will fall in love with her. She's just, uh, adorable during this whole thing. And the, <laughs> the guy, um, uh, George O'Brien plays the husband. He's great in it too. Um, so yeah, I, I would highly recommend sunrise. Um, it's a, it's, it's a really good movie if you can tolerate the silence. And I know that some people, <laughs> does it have that old timey, like, uh, music in the background? Well, here's the thing also about Sunrise is that it was the it was one of the first or maybe the first uh movie to have an actual soundtrack on it. Uh so they didn't have like an orchestra playing a a, a piece of music during the showing of the movie and everything. Uh so it actually had it has sounds like you'll hear car horns really? and boats, boat whistles and stuff like that. Uh there is no dialogue though. Um and uh so it's still considered a silent film interesting uh, uh but uh but uh, really good yes and it, it's you know it's got all the little placards that come up and say you know hey we should go over to the barber's place and you know so, you know that type of thing like so, the like in the three amigos 
Oh, like in the three amigos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, Sunrise, good movie. All right. Cool. Cool. Me, you, I've got, you. I've got one that I want to recommend that it just came to me that I've recommended it to you, Jeremy, and probably to you, Chris, but not on the 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 Sincast. It's a show on Netflix called Middle Ditch and Schwartz, and it's amazing. I was going to recommend this show. Oh, were you? I didn't see it in your notes. I put yeah. it in my notes. Yeah, you had different things in your notes. Oh, well, let me let you have that then. No, no, hit it, baby. Let's both talk about it. This shit is okay. awesome. This shit is totally awesome. Took me completely by surprise. So this is Thomas Middleditch from uh, Silicon Valley, best known, I guess. Uh, and then Ben Schwartz, who voiced Sonic the Hedgehog, but was uh, John yeah. Ralphio in, uh, in Parks, uh, and Rec. Parks and Recreation. I had no idea how how actually funny these two were, and especially in the in the category that they're in. Uh, they're doing this completely improvised. Have you seen this, Chris? Yeah, I've seen two episodes of it. I haven't seen all the way through. So they do, you know, if you've ever been to an improv show, uh, basically somebody in, from the cast says, give me a name, give me an idea, give me a situation, something like that. So they do that, and then they go off on like a 50-minute rant, completely improvised, changing characters at the time, like recreation of this event, and it's f- it'll, it'll it'll burst your nipples from. Yeah. The so I think there are only three episodes, Chris, yeah. and I also okay. have, have only seen the first two. Um, but this is not this is not a typical improv show. What what's great about this is when they start jumping into each other's characters um, and fucking with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then ultimately surprising each other. Uh, it's like, and I'll I'll give this caveat because some people hate it on SNL when Jimmy Fallon used to crack up in the middle of a skit, but it always mm-hmm. makes me laugh harder when the performers can't keep it together. Mm-hmm. There's a moment in each of the first two episodes where one of them makes the other one lose their shit, yeah. <laughs> uh, where Schwartz is walking up and Middleditch is playing a character they've dubbed Short Paul, <laughs> and he's mm-hmm. making his legs not reach the floor mm-hmm. and Schwartz says hey and Middleditch speaks like one of the one of the Wizard of Oz dwarves with a really <laughs> high voice and says ah, how you doing and <laughs> Schwartz very genuinely goes oh no and starts <laughs> laughing and then he gets back into it um, and there's a moment in the second episode when Schwartz suddenly speaks with a British accent and Middleditch just goes <laughs> <laughs> and then immediately goes back to character. And we, my wife and I are in tears when we watch this show. It makes us cry. We're laughing so hard. Uh, and the, ultimately, the the actual show they put together, for me, isn't as entertaining as watching the two of them jump in and out of the same characters and fuck with each other. <laughs> um, it just, uh, we hope they make more of them, man. It's really, yeah. really funny shit. They're, they're, the, the one with the wedding, uh, they do this sort of uh, high wire act because there are so many characters at that point that they have played two, like they've played individual characters up to this point and they've kept it simple. And they've even had to, if you saw Middleditch play this character earlier, you might see Schwartz play that same character later on in the skit or whatever. But like, uh, they they kept it simple and they had only two 
for a while and maybe a third person quote unquote would come in and your imagination has to still remember that there's a, another person there once once and somebody else goes to another thing but the uh, the wedding one they have to go through all this like you know it's an insane amount of rearranging of things for somebody to play the priest uh, the 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 groom the br- the the bride the best man the the friends in the audience the father the mother uh, and they keep doing all of that and there's this i don't i don't want to ruin it for people but there is a an amazing thing that happens where there's a i think it's a it's something just off the top of i think it's middle ditch's head that he does in the at the in the like a I guess the I guess the middle of the the sketch or whatever where he's playing a ghost and he thinks it's gonna go somewhere and like it it's like <laughs> uh, okay I, you know we you know we tried or whatever <laughs> and somehow they <laughs> integrate that at the end <laughs> it's so great it's so it great yeah um, so all, all three of us are recommending this uh, with uh, all three of our thumbs. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All three of our thumbs. I tell you what, man. This is you, you talk about a high high wire act. You've got to be absurdly talented and quick, and trusting your partner to make this even watchable for like ten minutes. Mm-hmm. But they make it hilarious for like almost an hour, man. And it's it's nearly impossible, especially from the, just the mundane <laughs> shit that they start with. Just, and it just grows and just grows and it on grows. different levels, man. They're halfway through that second episode before they even create this character who talks like this and is really <laughs> weak and has a key to the door and whatnot. <laughs> and then when Schwartz gets in there and starts going up and down like some kind of little alien monster. Middleditch walks away. He's like, I'm not even sure I want to open that. And you can tell they've worked together so much that Schwartz has decided, I'm going to do this. This is funny. And Middleditch is like, I really wish you wouldn't do this, but I know I can't stop you. And then when he finally lets him out and Schwartz is going crazy, then Schwartz tries to jump into another human character to make Middleditch take over the alien. And Middleditch is like, I'm not taking any responsibility for that. Somebody else is taking responsibility for that and forces him back into the role. And it's that extra layer of their partnership and trust uh, that I think makes it super enjoyable. I've seen a lot of improv shows, though, and I think what people think of when they think of improv, they either think of whose line is it anyway, which mm-hmm. has had it had its moments here and there and, and everything. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, and then they think of any other sort of improv show that they just happen to. I've been in. a have seen a couple of live ones and uh, and and it's and it's generally they want to keep everything different topics and everything. They want to mm-hmm. like, let's do, let's do this kind of improv. Let's do that kind of improv. Let's do this one. But I don't know. And maybe the, and maybe you guys have seen the format that they're doing where they have just one story that goes on for an hour. Have no, you ever seen this that? Is, no. They actually say up front, I think that this is long form uh, improv Mm-hmm. And I've I've never seen. I went to Second City and Improv Olympics and stuff like that in Chicago, and it would it would be ten minute sketches or something like that by an entire troupe. Mm-hmm. So like much easier to manage than trying to keep track of like nine different names 
You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> they have to Man, do, and this. that's the best when they start fucking up and making fun of each other. <laughs> like when he accidentally names a second character Stanley, and he's like, "Now we have two Stanleys," in the movie? <laughs> and, or they'll be like, "I think there's someone right here next to me. I can't remember. Is there another person here? I can't remember that." And just that letting the audience in on that creative play it looks like they're playing it looks like they're just having fun it's like an adult sandbox and we just get to watch and it's mm-hmm. really really funny yeah. i've never seen no i've never seen anything like this long form act and it makes it richer it makes it to where they have to remember the rules that they established you know 45 minutes ago mm-hmm. and the character's name and stuff like that uh unlike anything i've ever seen that's why they probably only did three for right now because it's hard. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, it's so fantastic that I stole Jeremy's recommendation for it. It's all right. So I had a second one prepared. I had a mm-hmm. second one prepared. Uh, Ford V Ferrari. Yeah, this is great. Oh, I still haven't seen this. Okay. So I usually do not like racing movies, car racing movies, uh, specifically, uh, because it almost always is the main character's an underdog racer. Is he going to win? Of fucking course he is. Uh, There's really only two outcomes. He wins or he loses. There's no tin cup ending for a racing movie where somebody comes in 32nd place, but it's still seen as like awesome and everybody's cheering for them. Uh, So I I never really like Days of Thunder. I don't like cars. I don't. But the two exceptions, one is Rush, the Ron Howard Mm -hmm. movie. The difference there is that it's not about who's going to win an individual race and there's not a single protagonist it's more about the relationship between those two men over a long period of time um and then and so ford v ferrari i stalled watching it ha car pun um because (laughs) i wasn't sure what kind of racing movie it was going to be let me tell you it is the best kind because Mm -hmm. the main character is matt damon not christian bale and matt damon is not the racer uh matt damon is he's playing uh, carol shelby um, he's basically the guy that helps put this car and team together and he brings Christian Bale in as his driver and he has several moments of conflict with Ford where they don't want Christian Bale to be the driver and he has to Matt Damon has to convince them to let him be the driver they ultimately bring two other drivers out with two other cars just to fuck with them and compete against them um but being able to watch all of this from the sidelines um and he's not the crew chief. He's the basically the boss of everybody in that pit, uh, I think, is what really makes this a riveting movie, because it's not ultimately so much about is he going to win the big race or not. Um, <clears throat> it's more about Matt Damon's perspective and is he going to succeed? And goddamn, Josh Lucas, I feel really bad for him because he is awesome at playing snivelly little bitches. <laughs> and he's got a snivelly little bitch face. <laughs> and he... <laughs> is awesome in this movie <laughs> um, as being a, a snivelly little bitch. Um, and uh, yeah, I just really was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. It's really solid and uh, I don't usually like racing movies. So I know, tend to, I tend to be okay with racing movies and I was, I, I even, I mean, 13 days of thunder. I, I enjoyed days of thunder. Although when you mm. look back, <laughs> days of thunder is not a great movie by any means, nope. but, but it, it, it was, it had its fun. Um, uh, I love rush. I'm glad that you brought that up. The, the Ron Howard, um, rush is, is fantastic. Uh, I, I would also, uh, recommend the documentary Senna, 
Mm. if you ever want to see some uh some real like you know uh footage of of stuff that's a that's a really good documentary um ford v ferrari also uh should bring up tracy letts who Ooh. I've 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 uh, a couple of times tried to champion, and I feel like a, like a lot of the the older crowd um, uh, uh, knows Tracy Letts because he's a Broadway guy, and he and you know he still seems to be sort of under the radar. But the the scene where um, is it does is is it Christian Bale that drives the car with him and. Uh, to to show how fast the car no, can be. No, it's actually it's, Matt it's, Damon. It's Damon, that's right. Yeah. Uh, Damon has that test drive where he shows how fast this car can be and everything. And by the end of it, Tracy Letts almost steals the entire movie by his <sighs> reaction by the time it's over. It's uh, so complex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, it he's is. He's weeping with fear and joy. Like, yeah. he's scared shitless, but he's like, our car is amazing, and he's crying <laughs> yeah. about it. Yeah. Oh, You're it's right. uh, it's fantastic. Uh, I'm going to have to go back and, and watch some of the James Mangold movies from the 90s that I somewhat wrote off back then and maybe wasn't old, weren't, wasn't old enough to, to appreciate. Copland keeps coming back up into the fray. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, I, I, I want to, I need to see that movie again because I think that was built up as something as, that it wasn't, uh, back in when it came out yeah. and, uh, and, and I, I really enjoyed the movie heavy when it, it was, it yep. was out back in the day. But, uh, but yeah, I want to revisit some, cause Mangold, I think we can officially put him in that category of director. I want to see whatever movie he does. Well, we went uh, through him. Did one, one of the guys we went through and did yeah, we did. On? We did. Uh, but last, his last two are Logan and Ford v Ferrari. Those are both A pluses in my book. So mm-hmm. he's uh, he's definitely in the club. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I remember really liking Copland. It was le- you're you're right. It seemed like the marketing was more like Sly Stallone in this in this super gritty thing, and it, it was wasn't more, that. It, it was more of a drama. It was yep. more of like a uh, procedural almost and, well, I, and it's, over, it's overwhelming how many stars are in that you have de niro yeah. and ray liotta and uh harvey keitel harvey keitel yeah just a ton of people just showing up in that movie and it, it's a little bit overwhelming but uh i need to revisit that stallone movie. is great i actually saw it again a couple years back um he's fantastic because it's it's one of the most muted quiet like stallone doesn't typically play characters who are broken right Mm -hmm. and this guy's broken he's a lapdog for these nypd cops that live in his jersey town and basically do all the crime they want and he's powerless to stop them they almost flaunt it in his face and he just reaches a point where he's going to be done and he's decided to do the right thing. Um, I think when you go back and see it again, you're going to find a new appreciation for it. Uh, not that you hated it before, but it's great. Yeah, Mangold, by the way, recently uh, uh, tweeted about that and uh, the, about Copland and said something to the effect that I don't I don't know if this is how is what this movie was necessarily about, but he was talking about how um, how there is sort of a problem with a whole bunch of cops who don't live in the jurisdiction that they patrol. So there's no sense of, uh, of, uh, you know, keeping, uh, there's no sense of pride in keeping mm. 
uh, order in a place where you, you don't live and you, and you have, you're not, you know, you don't have any, uh, stake in. And there are, there are so many of these cops who live in other neighborhoods and, and then they come to another place and there, you know, it's, it, there's a psychological sort of issue with that, uh, that policing an area that you don't have any stake in. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. I'm going to give you a, a, a surprise recommend because when I saw this, I saw this uh, trailer, I was like, there's no way that's good. <laughs> and yet you pulled the trigger anyway. Well, like I said about comedies, I have to watch nearly every one of them. Uh, uh, Eurovision Song Contest, the story oh. of Fire Saga. Oh, oh, man. I literally just found out about this like two days ago or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I recommend this, and it's not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna downgrade it to a wreck warn, but I'm gonna say that there is some very silly humor in this. And at, at the beginning, you might think, I don't know if I could really get into this movie at all. Um, but who, uh, really grabs your attention and you must watch it all the way to the end for is Rachel McAdams. Hmm. Um, I think, I think I'm, I'm close to just saying Rachel McAdams is one of our most underrated actors of all time at this point, because hmm. she doesn't get the same recognition as a Kate Blanchett or, or a Tilda Swinton or any Emma of these. Stone. Yeah. She doesn't get the, she doesn't get that recognition at all. And, and in the past six months where we've talked about spotlight and game night and, mm-hmm. and now this and all that, I mean, she, she's just wonderful. She's so game for the stupidity that's in this movie. And, uh, and there's something to that. Uh, I was recently talking to somebody about how like an actor could go into a piece of shit and this is not a piece of shit, but an actor can go into a piece of shit and be like, well, this is a piece of shit. So I won't, I won't do anything here. There's no, there's no stakes involved with me being good. So I won't be good. But oftentimes if a performer decides to just go all in on something, they make that movie good and better and everything. And so I feel like she's a big part of it. Will Ferrell is his usual Will Ferrell self in this, but the, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, it's maybe a slightly toned down version. I mean, he's immediately, he's, he's, it's his character is immediately ridiculous because he's playing an Icelandic singer. Uh, and so is they're, they're in Iceland. So Rachel McAdams is also an Icelandic singer They They've always wanted to be on this Eurovision. Uh, they, this, uh, was it the Eurovision Eurovision song contest? They've always wanted to be on this and, uh, they grew up, they saw ABBA on it and they, and they want to, they want to, uh, do their own song. So this is, this is their dream. And, um, and so, yeah, it's just silly They they, they, uh, sh- they obviously have some talent. Now, obviously there's the singing is not done by them. Uh, but, uh, but they, they have some talent, but the problem is, is that they're, um, especially because Will Ferrell's Lars character is such a buffoon and everything. They keep fucking things up like in the, in the shows and everything. Um, so there's at the very beginning, it's, it's all these Icelandic acts who want to get on this Eurovision thing. So it's like, basically you win that, then you go to Eurovision and you represent your country. But there is a, uh, there's a government in Iceland and, and led by this one guy who doesn't want anybody from Iceland to win because whoever wins the Eurovision, uh, the Euro, I keep, Eurovision song contest, whoever wins that, 
uh, hosts the next year. And he's like, if, if, if we like the, the place where we're whatever they're the city that they live in, we only have like 3000 people here. Do you think that we really have the infrastructure to, 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 to have like a hundred, like a million people here looking <laughs> at the Eurovision song contest and everything? We don't, we, we, we can't do this. Um, uh, but his, his cries are unheeded. The, the Icelandic uh, contest goes on. And yes, uh, the fire saga, they fuck it up. They, they, it, just terrible they're not they, you know they they embarrass themselves on tv but luckily for them all of the other acts blow up on a boat <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and it's one of the funniest scenes in the movie because because feral and mcadams are just like sitting out like you know woe is me and everything and that boat explodes and then they're like they're like, oh my god, that had all the singers on it and everything. <laughs> and they were like, and they were like, um, uh, they said, uh, and and Will Ferrell's like, yeah, you know what this means? That means we get to go to the Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> and then they're like jumping up and down and everything. And Rachel McAdams like, oh, but I'm so sorry for those people though. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's longer than your typical comedy. It's two hours. But there's a real um, appreciation of music in it. It's kind of mm. like Pitch Perfect in that way, where mm. the the songs, the a lot of the songs in there aren't like they don't they're they're over dramatic, but they don't go so far on it where it's just it's just goes into just parody. Mm. Uh, it's close. To, it's close to that. Don't get me wrong. There's there's a scene where a Russian singer is singing and there's like all these silhouettes of animals in the background and there's like deers being thrown up in the air, (laughs) but like, you know, there's stuff like that. But, uh, but when they burst out in a song, it's usually very like, this is a song we made. We want you to hear and enjoy it. Nice. So there's a lot of appreciated about like walk hard and stuff like that, where the, the songs were like, let's do it. Is, yeah. is obvious parody, but like the walk hard and like the 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 one at the very end is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I like I like it where you have one foot in reality and one foot in parody. I like yes. when he does the Bob Dylan thing, <laughs> and then the, the Tim, band is like, "You guys know yes, what he's talking about?" And then Tim Meadows is like, "Are you guys crazy? This is the best shit ever." <laughs> <laughs> And you never once paid for drugs. <laughs> but yeah, Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. I'm I'm not I, I'm I'm telling you, it's not the best comedy you can see or anything like that. But it is enjoyable. It has many moments in it that you will enjoy in it and everything. And and by the end of it, I was like, oh, that's actually a pretty decent movie. Not not yeah. bad. I'm sold, so, man. I literally saw that. After I opened Netflix a couple of days ago, I was like, what the fuck? Because I'd seen it mentioned, but I had mm-hmm. no idea it was Will Ferrell, Rachel McAdams, or Dan Stevens, who we saw recently in, a, in a, another thing. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you have uh, – yeah, Dan Stevens is the one who plays the Russian singer guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's nice. really good. Nice. Uh, but uh, Pierce Brosnan is in it, plays really? Will Ferrell's dad. Uh, uh, everybody thinks that, uh, Lars and Sigrid, who Rachel McAdams plays is brother and sister. And they always have to say, like, somebody says, oh, you're brother and sister. And then it's like, it's like, we are not brother and sister. Probably. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, if you're on if you're a fan of uh, sex education, by the way, the uh, the guy who plays uh, Gillian Anderson's uh, boyfriend in the second season mm-hmm. is uh, is one of the Iceland uh, govern government guys too. So it anyway. looks like he's from Iceland. Yeah, he might be actually. Um, I don't know. He's like, the uh, the repairman. He's from he's from Sweden. From Sweden, yeah, that's close enough. Thing. Same yeah, thing. it is the same, same thing. thing. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I'm going to talk about sex education in the answer to one of our questions. Actually, okay. Well, all yeah. right. Crazy. Uh, do you want to one more from me? Show it. All right. So, just recently, you know, we we were talking about uh, stand up comedy with uh, Andrew from Babish two weeks ago, and I also caught uh, another stand up special. It was Jerry Seinfeld, his most recent special, Twenty Three Hours to Kill. Mm-hmm. Have you guys have either of you guys seen this? No, Mm-mm. I had actually never seen Jerry Seinfeld comedy, stand-up comedy. I didn't mm. see comedian uh, when it came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never saw any of his older stuff. The only stuff I saw was the the prologues to the show, uh, and of course, I watched the show obsessively. His stand-up is way different than his comedy in the show. It's a lot more manic. It's a lot more kind of kinetic. But are you basing it on when? When was this that came out? Just like a couple months ago. Yeah, Just a couple months ago. Yeah. I mean, if you watch some of the Seinfeld from the '80s, it's very much what you saw on the show. Oh yeah. So yeah. he's evolved his stand-up then. Yeah, that's the reason why Gilbert Gottfried was always like imitating, like you know, would imitate him. Like, do you ever want? You know, he's he'd always get into the. <laughs> Gottfried always did a great Seinfeld, and he would always do those those jokes that he was known for and everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, I'm sure he's uh, he's learned a thing or two since. since well, he that. has, and and it, there's still funny jokes. He, he's he's got some zingers in there. Um, I mean, he's 65 now, mm-hmm. so it's 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 going to be a kind of a different mentality. Uh, but I don't know. It, it, something about it didn't work for me. The jokes mm-hmm. were okay, but I guess if you get used to, it's like if you have your brand of taco sauce, and then <laughs> you go to your friend's place and they have a slightly different brand of taco sauce. I don't even know what taco sauce I is. I actually think you're uh, um, wrong, but not at fault for being wrong. Um, I have heard from several people I trust that this is just a bad Seinfeld special. That, oh, okay. That uh, Now, my wife and I saw him live in Nashville about 15 years ago. Uh, when It was after the show had ended, and he was doing that tour of the country with... Uh, I'm going to get, I'm going to do all my old material for the last, I'm telling you for the last time. That was the name of the, the special. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> we saw it live and then we bought the movie uh, of the film version and it's hilarious. Uh, and I have not seen this new one, but uh, Frank on Twitter was like, mm, this is not good. Um, and so I've heard in several places that this is just not a good Seinfeld special. So interesting. Okay. I well, wouldn't judge yeah, his I mean, stand up in general based on this one special. It's, it's so weird. I mean, it, the guy takes, a million years to get his material right and finally come out with the special. And you expect somebody with that brain to, to really bring a fastball to really kill it. And, uh, he, he, like I said, I laughed a few times, but it was not overall fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's time to talk about better help. Once again, better help. I want to tell you something. I've said this before, but recently again, I've been a bad patient. 
uh, there was a there was a, a vacation and there was another vacation and I went for about two or three weeks without therapy and I realized I really don't need to do that anymore because now that I'm in the therapeutic process, I really need it uh, <laughs> and it really is helpful. Uh, and so I started like you know kind of backsliding on things that uh, I had been doing to keep my positive mental health up meditation, breathing, things like that, exercising. <clears throat> and so I didn't get chastised by my counselor. I was just pleasantly informed about or reminded about the things that I need to be doing. And so now I'm back on track. So BetterHelp is an online therapeutic service uh, that you do all from the comfort of your own home. Uh, you can interact via uh, live chats, uh, via video, via text, calls, things like that. Um, and you are assigned a counselor. Uh, matter of fact, uh, because there's been so much demand recently, uh, they're recruiting uh, additional counselors in all 50 states. My counselor said that she's had to turn like hundreds of people away just yeah. because she's totally, totally full, which it tells you how much people are using the service and benefiting from the service. Yeah. Well, and one thing I wanted to note, you kind of touched on this when it comes to therapy, is that you're going it's, to, it's not magic. You are going to get out of it, you know, what you put into it. And if you don't put anything into it, um, you may walk away and say, well, therapy doesn't work. For instance, my, when I first got hooked up with my therapist, uh, one of the things he wanted me to start doing um, you know, he was like, you know, play your guitar more and develop a routine and get out of the house at least once a day, even if it's just to go to Starbucks and exercise and blah, 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 blah. And so I'd, I'd go see him the next month and he'd be like, all right, getting out of the house. I'd be like, yeah. And he's like, uh, you playing the guitar more? I'll be like, yeah. And he's like, exercise. I'm like, no. <laughs> and this went on for months because I, I hate exercise, even though all the science says it will help my anxiety, even if I just go shoot baskets for half an hour a day. Um, it's, it has been very hard for me. I'm there now, but it was very hard for me to turn that into a routine. And so it could have been easy for me to say, my therapist isn't working. My anxiety is still hanging around, but I wasn't exactly listening to the direction mm -hmm. he was giving. Um, and so, you know, be willing to make some changes in your day to day and therapy can make a big difference. Uh, and I think there's a lot of people starting to realize that. Yeah, you have to you have to participate. It is not just a one uh, one sided deal where they say, OK, here's the answer. You actually have to work through some stuff. And trust me, it, it's it's good stuff. It really is. Yeah. Uh, so I encourage you, if you're having trouble, particularly in these times with anxiety, with depression, with uh, with anger, with uh, PTSD, all ranges of mental health problems, issues uh, can be serviced through BetterHelp.com. So go to BetterHelp.com, H-E-L-P.com slash Sencast. You get a discount on your first month uh, of 10%. And that, that is substantial. Uh, if you have any problems paying for it, uh, let them know and they'll work with you on it. Uh, so over 1 million people have joined the service now, which is incredibly impressive. Uh, I'm sure they've had a spike recently. Uh, but if you feel like you need to uh, start on a therapeutic journey, um, go to betterhelp.com slash Sencast. Take an easy survey. They match you with the therapist or a counselor, and you're off and running. BetterHelp.com slash Sincast. Do it.
If you need it, if you, you know, yeah, 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 hey. <laughs> All right, are we gonna do? Uh, we're gonna do some uh, some mail. We're gonna do some Q and A. Question, question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. About flipping time. Yeah, it is. It is about time. <laughs> we've we've got from all over the world, by the way. Uh, the first one is from New Jersey. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, what are some best examples of movies that are remembered entirely for their score? Uh, this person's answer would be Chariots of Fire. Everyone knows the score, but many people can't name the movie, the lead actor, or even the composer. Of um, course I can name the composer. It's the Ethereal Vangelis. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I understand the the concept of the question. I think it's a good one. Uh, you know what though? I thought about this forever, and I'm I'm probably wrong, but you, there, this is one of those questions that have a lot of multi tiers to it. Where I don't know if there are any movies like Chariots of Fire that ha- that are known for just the score, and like if you heard it, you didn't know like. Uh, I, I, I'm, when you hear that, you know it's from Chariots of Fire. Now, you may not know what the movie's about, and you may not know <laughs> who's Chariots. in it. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, it's the sequel to Ben-Hur. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, like, I was sitting there struggling because I would come up with a piece of music that was famous, but the movie was famous. Or, uh, it, or the you know, you there's a there's a maybe the movie had a good score but you don't you don't uh, equate the score to that movie so um so like i you know like you there's only a couple of things that i could even come up with here that sort of get around to that chariots of fire but i think chariots of fire is singular in this question hmm. um uh the one piece of score that I uh, would bring up is from Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. Uh, this was the, the, there was there's a song in there, a, a score in there that it's like na 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 na. You you remember that? You saw you heard that in like every trailer in the nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and it and that's in Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. Now the problem under the parameters of the question is. You don't know, you probably don't know that's from Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. Mm. Um, you, you, it, so it, it, so it's not a movie known for its score, uh, even though it's, its score was, was very famous. Um, and so, so I had, I had some struggles answering the, in the parameters of that question. Uh, so that's the closest I could come up with. Yeah. Mm. I struggled as well. I originally wrote down the sting with the uh, the entertainer, but that wasn't written as score for the movie. Um, even though I do think it's now known more for the movie than for it, just a piece of music in the early 1900s. Right. Uh, but Chris is absolutely correct that this is a singular question. The best closest I could get was the good and bad and the ugly, which ah, is that. Nice. Do, yeah. do, do. But even though I know that, most people wouldn't be able to say that's from the good, the bad, the ugly. They just know it's famous Western music that gets aped a lot in comedies. They wouldn't be able to tie it, I don't think, directly to that specific movie. Um, so, yeah, I don't think... A big movie buff uh, of some sort, you're probably not picking good, bad, and the ugly on that. You might even wander around and pick some other Western's name yeah. uh, during that whole thing. Yep. 
Yeah. So that was, a, that was as close as I could come. I do think Chariots of Fire is the only one that fits the parameters. Uh, I, I have one contender. Uh, and I, I went through a few. Uh, I mentioned the Nutcracker. I don't think there's really been a definitive uh, movie version of the Nutcracker because no nobody knows what the story of the Nutcracker is unless you go to see it every year. Um, but you you definitely know the music. Um, and uh, I, I mentioned Psycho, but again, that movie's super famous. Jaws, that movie's super famous. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the only other contender would be the Pink Panther. Because it's got that Henry okay. Mancini score, the da 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 uh, And there's so many different weird levels to the Pink Panther. I used to watch this movie a decent amount, uh, but it's Peter Sellers' movie. Mm-hmm. But it's known best for the score and the the Pink Panther, the animated Pink Panther that gets into all the hijinks and stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. It's not known for being a jewel heist or something like that. You know what I mean? I think you might be on to something there because the, the, for sure, Pink Panther music, you're going to know, A, it's from the Pink Panther, but you may struggle to figure out, to remember <laughs> what that movie was about. Plus, there's a hundred different Pink Panther movies that came out, <laughs> including Roberto Benigni, I believe, was a Pink Panther at oh, one Oh, seriously? Time. My I think favorite so. is Steve Martin. I want to buy a burger. I want to buy a burger. I want to buy a burger. <laughs> That's the only funny part of that whole movie. Sorry to say. Yes. Either one of them. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, that's right. They made two. They did. Peter, Peter Sellers made a couple. Steve Martin got to make two of everything for about 10 years there. He got to make yeah. two Cheaper by the Dozens. He got to make two Pink Panthers. Um, <laughs> it was just doubling down on everything. I actually saw the other day like a cheaper by the dozen reunion in the works or something. What like they're gonna? Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, that's dumb. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, Roberto Benigni played son of the Pink Panther in nineteen ninety four. Oh wow! Um, wow. I, I only re- reason I remember that is because of the poster. It's him with his hands. Uh, up in up in the air like he's being arrested or something i don't know um but this was before i knew this is what before i knew him from life is beautiful and all that so uh did not know that was i did not know that was roberto benini did not know who he was back in the day when that came out but that was a uh, that was a good question because you're no, right it's a great question and it, it, it and it uh, it made me think for a very long time what could mm-hmm. fit under that. There's just not many is the problem. Yeah, yeah. I I like the ones that arouse your noodle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once upon a time in Hollywood and bad times at the El Royale would make an incredible double feature. Obviously, they take place in a similar time frame and location, but both movies feel like they were written by the same person. They have the same tension, unease. You'd think they were made together. I call movies like this kissing cousin movies. Uh, they are just uh, way too similar. What are some other kissing cousin movies? Yeah, you know, I, we, we were discussing this. Is like I, I agree about the era, and they both use that deep purple song. But they're, they, these movies couldn't be more different. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you know, there, there's a uh, not to not to uh, you know uh, uh, say anything about our questioner because we like the question. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that I, I, I would totally disagree with that being those two movies being the same. It's they have some ties for sure. Um, but, uh, this one was, this one was tough for me too. Um, I ended up, 
and I ended up on the post and all the president's men. Um, mm. the, the main reason being it's, it's both about it. They're both about the Washington post. You will, you'll see two different versions of Ben Bradley. Uh, Jason Robards is really the best Ben Bradley, but then you have Tom Hanks playing in the post. You never get to see the character Meryl Streep plays in, in the post, but you hear, you do hear her referred to in uh, all the president's men. Um, but these are the post almost acts as a prequel to all the president's men uh, in this way, because this is about the Pentagon papers and they're about to get into the Watergate stuff a few, a few years later. Are Woodward and Bernstein characters in the post? I do not think so. Although Bernstein in, in all the president's men, they mentioned that Bernstein had been around the paper. He's, he mentions he's been around the paper since he was like 16 or something, but I don't think unless it's some passing, like shot of Bernstein. He's not really in the post at all. And I think Woodward is shown to be a new reporter in all the president's men. And Uh, he was, he was doing a lot of like restaurant, uh, you know, review, like not uh, like restaurant safety code reviews and stuff like that. Apparently is what is, is (laughs) he's got, he got a couple of them shut down, didn't he? You know, is one of the lines. Um, so, uh, you know this this top this topic of uh you know like i could really i could really pair all the president's men with a few movies that i think are similar in some ways uh, uh mainly because of the the idea you have someone searching for the truth and so many people who don't want to give the answers so you have jfk quiz show and spotlight all yeah go into these uh go into this category as well that would be one hell of a like five movie marathon you try to watch them in era order too like you watch (laughs) uh watch uh uh, quiz show then watch jfk then watch all the uh, the post all the president's men and then spotlight and uh (laughs) and uh and uh and see see what see what you can gather from from that from that viewing All right. I think the question is super interesting. Um, I see this. I see a lot of similarities between those two movies that I don't see as many as the question asker sees between them. Uh, but I like the question and I went through about eight different ideas and uh, I'm, I'm going to go with oblivion and moon. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> they Ooh. are both set in the future. They are both in space. They are both solitary or solitary individuals or couples who ultimately are clones who are being tasked to do work by overlords that mm-hmm. are lying to them. Yeah. Um, and in the end, both of them try and uh, basically break the wheel. Uh, I, I think one oblivion is super slick looking and mm. moon is like dirty and grungy. Um, so there are two sides of, of what I think is a similar coin, uh, and they deal with a lot of the same themes uh, and settings. And so uh, I think that's a good answer. I'm going to go with that. Oh, it's a great answer. Um, uh, it, I think this, your answer probably fits more the spirit of the question than mine does. Uh, I was I was struggling to find that that true, like I could come up with era a lot of times, but I couldn't come up with theme. And that Oblivion and Moon are so very similar 
in fact, I, I think we we uh, we didn't talk about Oblivion during the uh, last week's episode with the uh, oh the solitary the solitary thing, but that would fit under that as well. Yeah, remind me the pl- the the premise of Oblivion. It's Tom. This is Tom Cruise, right? Mm-hmm. Tom Cruise and um, my girlfriend. Yeah, uh, uh, Andrea Riseborough. Yeah, uh, and they are living on a big tall tower, and they have a, a sh- airship, and they patrol. They patrol then, the Earth after everybody's gone from the Earth, right? Uh, yes. Okay. They're, I've seen it. I just don't remember much about it. Yeah, I don't want to spoil too much of it, um, but nothing that you're told in the beginning is true anyway. Okay. Um, I need to watch it again then. Yeah, it's really slick. I'm telling you, this. Uh, I, I'm intrigued by Joseph Kaczynski because he did Tron Legacy, then Oblivion, then Only the Brave. Uh, you know, I love Tron Legacy. Only the Brave is a solid A. Um, and Oblivion's great. And Top Gun Maverick is his next movie. But I'm now down. he's just signed on to do another reboot. And I think he may be obsessed with reboots because... Although Twister, they're going to reboot Twister, and he's going to make that. Mm. Um, now, I think visually he can make that happen. Uh, sure. I was really impressed with all the fire effects and stuff he did in Only the Brave. But do we need Twister again? Mm-hmm. Not really. I didn't, mm. yeah. I didn't think we needed a Top Gun two either. So yeah, <clears throat> since they uh, they already made a Twister two a few years ago, whatever that was, Into the Storm or whatever the fuck it was. Yeah, called. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with my other girlfriend, Sarah Wayne Callies. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> nice. I have a lot of girlfriends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Some so a couple of redheaded girlfriends today. <laughs> my uh, my glib answer is that uh, all romantic comedies could take place in the same. Uh, era and same place and same environment. Uh, like you'd be comfortable thinking that you, me, and Dupree was happening during like uh, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days and in fucking like all these other things. But I think specifically, uh, you could draw a parallel between the two Ben Stiller comedies where he futzes around and somehow everybody's in love with him. Uh, Along came Polly and uh, the Heartbreak Kid, mm-hmm. right? Oh. Ah. Uh, because they're shot in the exact same way. They have mm-hmm. the same humor. Uh, they have literally, it's the same plot. The dude just kind of like futzes around. He has no socially redeeming qualities. <clears throat> and yet Jennifer Aniston and Deborah Messing fall for him in one movie. And, uh, fucking, uh, uh, one of the, one of the, one of the Monahans, Michelle Monahan falls for him. And uh, Malin Ackerman fall for him. And you mean it wasn't kid. Dominic Monaghan? <laughs> 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 but I mean, it's just, it's uh, it, the, the same movie. And with romantic comedies, man, you're right. It's like what we were talking about with comedies in general before we saw Game Night. Like they're all shot the same. They're all flat. They're all bright. They're all, you know, sleek and all that stuff. And it they could be all in the same universe. It's like, isn't it romantic that Rebel Wilson thing? which I never saw, but just based from what I know shitty where it's, yes, yeah, shitty, mm-hmm. but also like it's ape, it's, it's, it's making fun of all that stuff because it's a reason because they're all the same. So mm-hmm. I think, I think they're all kissing cousins. Um, I just noticed on the answer that I gave, um, on this, that I also mentioned Valkyrie and inglorious bastards as, ah, uh, that's excellent. Um, Ooh. yeah, the, uh, the, both of them are about the plot to kill Hitler, but one's real and one's imaginary. 
very imaginary. Yeah, well, uh, and Mike Myers is in both of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. Um, but uh, uh, Valkyrie, uh, back in the day, I don't think it got the, the fair shot that it needed uh, when it came out. Um, and uh, and uh, I think people are starting to discover it again. It, it plays on cable quite a bit uh, these days. Uh, it's really well done, really tense, has a ton of fucking people in it. Um, and, uh, and it's great. And of course, in glorious bastards, same way, tons of people really entertaining. Uh, and, uh, who can say no to killing Hitler? That's a, that's a good plot. Um, Then you might as well throw in the dirty dozen, right? Yeah. (laughs) One of those dirty dozen movies, it might be the second one, but they, they're literally attempting to kill Hitler. Oh yeah. I actually didn't realize that there was more. Yeah. The dirty dozen. Yeah. They made at least two of them. Is it like cheaper by the dozen? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a dirty dozen, even dirtier. Um, (laughs) No, it's uh, hang on. The dirty 13. Yeah. There's a next mission. There's a next mission. There's a fatal mission. There's a deadly mission. Yeah, and then there's a nocturnal emission. (laughs) (laughs) That's it for me, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Good night. (laughs) Hello from Dublin. I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. Hello from Dublin, Ireland. Uh, Big big fan of pretty much everything you guys put out. My question is: What movie slash TV show slash book series could work? better or just as good in a different medium. For example, uh, this person thinks the Harry Potter series would be great as a TV series uh, with every season being a faithful adaptation of one of the books. And they go on to say the Godfather could also work as an HBO series. Uh, Stay safe. Thanks for all the content. Another good question. What do you think? Um, We've talked about it before, but the dark tower needs to be a TV series. Um, Oh yeah. They were talking about doing that. Uh, but that was, that's a world that Stephen King sort of built and, and, uh, needed to have more than just the one movie, uh, cramming 5 million pages into one, uh, one little movie. Uh, I will never understand it. I don't know if anybody has the, I mean, only the people who made the, this movie has, has the answers as to why they made one, one movie with no intention of making the other, uh, the other standalone movies. Um, and uh, that's that is something that could be a great TV series with the world that Stephen King built uh, on that. You could do it just like a Game of Thrones or something like that. And I think yeah. it would, I think it would do gangbusters. Absolutely. Mm. And, and, and conversely, I think you could do the stand as as big as it is. I think mm. you could do the stand in a standard movie better than it was done in the miniseries. Miniseries kind of just like. It's I I enjoyed it, but it's not perfect or anything. It's very very dated. Mm-hmm. But if they came out with this, well, maybe not these days because people would freak out. Uh, but if they came out with the stand movie, man, that thing would make a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have several things to say. Bring it. All I'm right. gonna say them all. I feel like Big Little Lies would have worked better as a movie than a TV series, mm. um, because. There are a lot of, I'm talking the first season. The second season of Big Little Lies is, I mean, Meryl Streep's hilarious, but it goes way off the rails, I think. Um, But the first season, there's a lot of music plays for 40 seconds while she runs along the beach. 
Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of that. And uh, as far as what happens, I don't know that we needed eight or 10, however many episodes there were to tell that story. Not for that. Uh, no. I also think um, I've said this before that bad education on HBO would make a better limited series than a movie. Yeah. Uh, I have now seen this movie three times. Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney are awesome. Mm-hmm. But there are so many threads that could be followed from Hugh Jackman's husband we only see twice, uh, the boyfriend we only see three times, the girl reporter clashing with her student editor, her father being mixed up with the insider trading stuff that's only glanced on, uh, the ramifications that Allison Janney's character goes through in the months before Hugh Jackman is caught and how she finally... I just feel like there's a lot of rich material there and this is all based on a true story um and i would rather have seen like a sharp objects kind of like a six episode treatment for that uh, particular property i still think the movie's really good so. yeah i agree <clears throat> there you go uh, i've actually got kind of the opposite answer to that although i, I wrote pretty little liars but i did mean big little lies <laughs> uh, that? Uh, because look, there's so much content out there and there's so much especially when it comes to series. And if, if you can condense your story into a movie, into a format where you tell your story completely and it can be in a movie, I'm much more inclined to watch that than get through a series. I mentioned sex education earlier because I haven't, I haven't gotten through all of sex education. There's another season that I haven't gotten through. And then there's more stuff. Those episodes aren't even all that long. Uh, or are they? Is it the end of the fucking world? That's uh, that's super short. Yeah, the sex education are all forty five minutes. Forty five minutes. Yeah, and it's yeah. such a commitment. I think you could tell a story, and I love the show. I just don't have time for it. I don't have mm-hmm. time to get through all these uh, these these things. I think a Stranger Things movie or series of movies for each se- each season. Jeremy would have seen at least one of them <laughs> because <laughs> because you could condense that story from the first season into a movie for sure. Uh, so yeah, I, I want things to start getting compressed a little bit uh, that need to be compressed. And then something like dark tower uh, or something like bad education uh, should get that, that sort of treatment. Yeah, I agree. This one actually had a visual that came with it. Uh, thank you for sending that. Emma, the questioner is a uh, longtime listener from Cape town. Wow. Uh, I'm currently under lockdown. Thank you for being responsible and decided to clean up the computer. I found this, uh, this chart that I'm going to read you and I thought it could make for a quick and fun question. Who's your killer and who will protect you Add a director? If you like, in my case, I'm being hunted by the Joker with only Homer to protect me. Uh, I love the show and keep up the inappropriate behavior. All will be made clear now. So the graph that, uh, Emma has sent on is a will you survive type of thing. You've seen this on social media. Uh, and there's uh, evil people on the left, and there's heroes on the, the right. And it says, how fucked are you uh, at the bottom? So I'm going to go ahead and read the killers and then read the heroes, and then we'll reveal our answers. It's corresponding to a letter of the alphabet. So you, you match your first name to the, the killer and your last name to the, uh, uh, the hero. Everybody got that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Of our killers, we have John Wick, Darth Vader, Electra, Doomsday, The Joker, Deadpool, fucking Bucky, The Winter Soldier, K-2, 
Cammy. I don't even know who Cammy is. I don't either. Uh, Vincent Vega, The Punisher, Catwoman, Leon from The Professional, uh, Pyramid Head from Hellraiser? No, that would be Pinhead. Um, Pyramid Head, I don't know who that is. I don't know. Uh, Mojo Jojo <laughs> from uh, Powerpuff Girls, uh, Deathstroke, uh, the T-1000, Black Widow. Interestingly, she's on the killer side. Your Midhead uh, is from Silent Hill. Oh, nice. Okay. I like that movie. Uh, then there's some that I don't even know here. Ezio Auditor, uh, Professor Zoom, Shao Kahn, Agent 47, Lobo, Tao Pai Pai, Aeon Flux, Freddy Krueger, and Magneto. That's the oh, list Lobo of is from Lobo is from Superman comics. He's like a Wolfman thing. I would hope so with a name like that. <laughs> All right, it, here's our heroes. Lobo have its own uh, comic uh, at one point? What? Did Lobo have its own comic? I think so. But he's from Superman. Nice. I think that's where he originated, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so here's, here's our heroes. Uh, starting with A, Wonder Woman, then SpongeBob, Goku, mm-hmm. uh, Black Panther, Mr. Spock, Tyrion Lannister, who's a hero, uh, Homer Simpson, Conan the Barbarian, Harry Potter, Pikachu, The Flash, Johnny Bravo, <laughs> BB-8. <clears throat> I think they're setting up for failure on some of these things. Yeah. Uh, is it Lara Croft or Lara, Lara. Croft? Katniss Everdeen, uh, Groot, Spider-Man, Frodo Baggins, Link, Optimus Prime, Batman, Daryl Dixon from The Walking Dead, Wolverine, uh, Devokin, I don't know who that is, Dr. Manhattan, and the last one is John McClane. So thank you for sending that. Uh, So corresponding to... Our first oh, and last names. I forgot. Can, I didn't even realize that. God, I've misunderstood <laughs> this question again. That's okay. We can do both. We, we, we can we, do. We, we can. Uh, we can uh, tell you what it is according to the chart. So uh, I'm looking at the chart. The stupid chart. I got the. <laughs> I got your damn chart. Jeremy's <laughs> fucked. <laughs> I am fucked. Yeah, you my, are. Mine is going to be the Punisher coming to kill me, and I got fucking Link. From hey, Zelda. Link is a powerful dude. He's taken out. He's not going to uh, stop bullets, Lionels, and shit like that. He kills spiders, not <laughs> Link <laughs> defeated Ganon. Jeremy Ganon <laughs> is amazing. He's so hard All to right. beat. I will uh, tell you before you I knew the fucked. name. Before I knew the name thing, I chose the Terminator, the T one thousand, to come after me because he's he's a machine. He likes things particular and. And uh, doesn't like mistakes, and we make them all the time on the Sins videos. So he would <laughs> naturally want to come after me. And then mm-hmm. I chose Wolverine to protect me because Wolverine likes sarcasm, and he can't die. <laughs> mm-hmm. So <clears throat> those were my choices before I realized there was like a whole name thing. To it. Um, I have I have probably the best one. I have Electra. Uh, is chasing after me and have Wonder Woman saving me. Yeah. And all I've got to say is, either way, I win. <laughs> <laughs> what is Electra's deal? I forget her deal. I don't know. Electra, she throws sighs like Raphael from the Ninja Turtles. Was she a just, bad girl? She's, bad an girl. Ass- 
I don't, she's one of those uh, that walks the line. She was she has been a villain and has been a hero. She's connected to Daredevil. Jennifer Garner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of kind of think it's weird though that they they put Elektra in the straight up villain column. Um, but I think she whatever. was probably villain for longer in the comics, and the movies went right to the part where they love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I never saw that movie. It's pretty awful, isn't it? Oh, it is. Yep, it's one of the worst. <laughs> pretty bad. <laughs> Uh, so with mine, uh, you've got a great one, Chris. With my given one, uh, is Darth Vader versus Link. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think I'm pretty fucked because he's got the Force. All right, mm-hmm. <laughs> like like Link has a lot of magical abilities, especially in Breath of the Wild, where he's got mm-hmm. different swords and and different gear and stuff like that. But man, the Force, yeah, can't fuck with the Force. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah, nasty big pointy teeth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if I was going to pick one, I think it would just be fun to see John Wick go against Wolverine, uh, just because they they both have bad attitudes and neither of them quit. So it would be just like an epic battle going on and on and on and on and on. And I could watch it. I don't know. Is I mean, uh, you know, John Wick obviously is pretty badass against a whole bunch of humans, but uh, I'm wondering how, how how he would fare against a guy Dude, with uh, big claws and shit. He's, he's finding ways to kill the the guys with their with his little the, like pulling up the helmets and shit like that, <laughs> like emptying yeah. rounds into him. We're talking about we're talking about adamantium bones here, Barrett. We can't we, we you you can't snap you can't snap Wolverine doing your typical karate shit. I know, so neither of them will quit, so it'll just go on forever, and it'll be awesome. How so? Is John Wick also, does he also have adamantium bones? Motherfucker fell off of a high rise and lived. Okay, he does have adamantium bones. I, I, I forgot. <laughs> he's got he's got the tactical suit. I forgot. I forgot that John Wick survived a lot of shit. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, I like that question. I'm just curious, what's the oldest movie that you've ever seen? I noticed you guys haven't talked a whole lot on the podcast about movies pre-1970s, and I was just wondering if you had any deep knowledge about movies from the 30s or 40s or below. My oldest movie, for example, is A Trip to the Moon, uh, <laughs> released in October of t- 1902, and a 15-minute acid trip about shooting a rocket into the moon. Oh, and the moon has a face on it. Uh, sincerely, Brandon from Kent, Ohio. Thank you so much, Brandon. I have, I'm pretty sure that I have seen that. Um, uh, if, even if I haven't sat down to watch, uh, that particular silent film, I feel like I've seen everything from it, from other. Yeah. You've seen the image and all that stuff. And and I, and you know, I I was a big fan of smashing pumpkins. So I saw that shit. Um, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, uh, Barrett, I think we share one, uh, doctor, the, the, uh, cabinet of Dr. Caligari, yeah. Uh from 1920 uh is uh, is on that list. Um and then the the movie that the short from the Charlie Chaplin short called 1AM which was the first movie I ever saw on movie uh dates to 1916. Oh so, wow. So wow. I've seen those are the oldest ones that I've seen. Yeah, I think uh I I've probably seen uh movies from the 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 teens and stuff like that. Uh but the one that really uh, stood out to me was the cabinet of uh, Dr. Caligari because it's yeah. so, it's so prescient on, you know, techniques and like, you know, the horror themes and stuff like that. It's very engaging. You know, you think about these old films as being just dated, 
but it's 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 really good and it's really tense. Dude, there are some things I've I've seen a lot of these uh German silence lately. Um there are things that they did in these movies back then that you're just going to be like, how did they do that? Back yeah, then? Yeah. Because they didn't have computers mm. to do some of the stuff that they did. But like, uh, th- there's one movie and I'm, I saw a movie where there's a, the, the guy runs out of a building and the, the building behind him starts bending down towards him mm. as, as he, as he, uh, as he runs away. And it's just a, a, a great, uh, effect and there's and there's you know stuff back in the day you're like man they must have really had to do some do some serious rigging up to get something like this uh uh working uh w- to make it look good on a film and everything mm. it's uh they're more advanced than you say than you think they are all right <clears throat> well what i'm gonna go with is uh I, I, both of these movies i've seen uh so they count but i saw them in college and i don't remember them super well uh i saw them more um as like a film buff doing my own film school thing uh so jazz singer in 1927 and nosferatu mm-hmm. in 1922 yeah. um <clears throat> i've seen both of those it's uh, now, as far as the earliest film I've seen that I could speak about, I put uh, Wizard of Oz, obviously, 39, uh, or Arsenic and Old Lace, which is my jam in 1944. Um, but, you know, I've s- probably seen a lot of stuff. You know, like that, that trip to the moon, I know I've seen. Uh, I know I've seen a lot of the Charlie Chapman and what have you, but I just didn't really want to spend an hour researching. <laughs> yeah. Well, and if you're going to go as far as where you had with arsenic and lace, you got citizen Kane in like 1941 and Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Casablanca and all these, but um, yeah, Nosferatu was, was I thought the earliest one that I had seen. Uh, but then yeah, cabinet of uh, Dr. Caligari won the day. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, love the show as always. Two questions for you for one uh, for Whenever you guys do questions next, what are your favorite directorial debuts? And two, uh, when do you guys think you'll record together in person again? I know COVID and all, but that's just a curiosity of mine. <laughs> well, of course, we don't look at uh, look at it as COVID and all. We we pretty much are looking at it as a thing that we're trying to actively avoid, and we'll probably not interact with each other while it happens. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. While there's no vaccine and uh, mm-hmm. and everything, so uh, yeah, no no in person thing for a long time, and especially in the state that we live in, which uh, decided that it didn't exist. And uh, everybody decided to go out. And now we, we had to, in the last two days, because there was a, a thing that went wrong with the, uh, uh, the, whatever counts the number of cases or whatever. Every time I see that, I would get suspicious about it. Like, like something, the, the, the system's down today, like <laughs> right after we saw a big spike, a couple yeah. of days ago and like, Oh, the system's down. We want to make, sh- make sure everything's good. But like 2000 more cases in the last two days. Yeah. And, um, and so like, you know, spikes like you never seen, uh, in, in, in this state. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually gotten worse since we started doing this bullshit. Yep. <laughs> Fucking oh, unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so, um, as, as to the first question, Sam Mendes, American beauty, yeah, uh, interesting. Yeah, I know that American Beauty has, uh, over the years, has become somewhat divisive as far as uh, 
people liking it or whatever, even like back in 1999 when it won best picture, like, I think people were like, ah, that movie, the fucking, you mean the, you mean the guy in the fucking filming the, 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 the trash, the, the piece of trash floating around and that's the movie. <laughs> yeah. That's a bunch of bullshit in American beauty, but that movie's great. I love American <laughs> beauty. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, creepy. It's creepy, but it, uh, I, I, I do love it. I love the aesthetic of it. I love the music. I love everything. Yeah, it's super creepy. Sure. Um, there, there's some things in there that, uh, yeah, you, you wouldn't want to practice this at home. Um, <laughs> biggest but, misunderstood blowjob in the history of film. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Like it. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> like, what the fuck? I think this was also a debut, uh, screenplay from Alan Ball at the time. And, oh, really? Uh, it was his yeah, first. It, it was either his first, there was, there was, there were some unique things about the script in that they didn't change much from the script. Like usually a script like goes through numerous changes during the filming. Uh, this one didn't, the only thing that they didn't, uh, the only thing they, they left out was the big court case at the end, because that was a court case at the end of American yeah. beauty. But, uh, uh, this is, that's going to be for me, even if you don't like American beauty, you can you have to see at least that there's a guy who knows what he's doing behind the camera mm-hmm. in American beauty. So, uh, at least, at least give that movie that he's got a good track record too. He does. I, uh, I went recent on one and obscure on another. I'll give you two book smart with Olivia Wilde. Yeah. Ooh, nice. Um, which just felt like somebody's fifth or sixth film not a first film mm-hmm. um and then tom mccarthy who um made spotlight uh mm-hmm. his debut was the station agent uh, yeah which is, oh, really? a, which is a movie a lot of people haven't seen um, so fucking and it's good. fantastic yeah, it and is. it's really just about friendship um but really, really solid debut from him. So that's going to be my answer. Nice. Yeah, you, yeah, you, a lot of you, uh, Game of Thrones enthusiasts should should seek out the other Peter Dinklage stuff because as much as as awesome as he was on Game of Thrones, and that was certainly his star making uh, performance was on that, and he's he's as stellar in that as he's ever been. But go out, find you the station agent, find uh, find me guilty. Uh, uh, and find a uh, living in oblivion. And mm-hmm. there, oh, obviously yeah. <laughs> there are, there are other movies that he's been in that he's great in, but, uh, but, uh, but if you, if you liked him in those in, in game of Thrones, go find those movies. Mm-hmm. 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 I've also got an old one and a new one too. Uh, my new one, I think it may be recency bias, but, uh, I think Jordan Peele with get out came out as just so mm-hmm. left field. Mm-hmm. Because you know, yeah, he's a comedian and everything, but he had never directed even an episode of Key and Peele. And you know, he's known as a writer, he's known as a comedian, and he just fucking nailed it from all different angles and Get Out. Yeah, I will say that there's a pot. There's a there. I would say there's a probability that during the Key and Peele uh, days, he was at least learning things behind the camera during some of their sketches you'd think you'd have uh, to yeah uh, just. and and just and just sort of soaked that in and probably had soaked enough uh uh directors and stuff over his career that he 
he learned what he wanted to do behind the camera and everything. And you're right. Get out is as good as it gets as far as debuts. Yeah. And he kept it. Yeah, I mean, he kept the level up with us too. So I can't wait to see what he's going to make. Uh, and then I'll uh, say for the older one, Amy Heckerling for fast times at mm. Richmond high mm-hmm. uh, for that to be your debut as a female in Hollywood at that time with that cast must've been insane. Uh, and then she followed up years later with Clueless. Um, and uh, I think that was a dynamite debut. I, uh, I, I, was, I was debating whether or not to put Christopher Nolan on this one uh, mm-hmm. because uh, Following is a, is a really good movie. I just, I've just never considered that his first movie for whatever reason. I've, I've, I'm biased against it for some reason <laughs> being his first movie. Uh, I would say technically it probably would, he would say that's my first movie. Uh, but I always consider Memento his yeah. debut, uh, even though, you know, following technically came first. So yeah, screw it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was listening to Disney's Aladdin soundtrack and I realized that when Aladdin says next time I'm going to use a nom de plume at the start of the film, it foreshadows his eventual return into Prince Ali. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your favorite example of foreshadowing mm-hmm. in a movie? Mm-hmm. Of any mm-hmm. foreshadowing, huh? Any uh, foreshadowing. Yeah, it's it's wide open. I'm going to buy you some time. I went with my favorite film, The Matrix, mm-hmm. when a character says to Neo within the first 10 minutes, you're my own savior, my own personal Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it's maybe a little on the nose. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because he falls in love with the girl named Trinity. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, the movie's at least not hiding the fact uh, of who Neo is and is going to be. Uh, and I just love that movie. So there you go. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. I actually, you know, this one kind of broke my brain because I can't really point out an easy instance of foreshadowing, even though it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I actually had to to look a few things up. And uh, I forgot that in Psycho, uh, Norman Bates uh, says to uh, to Vivian Lee uh, early on in, when they first meet. Janet Lee. Janet Lee, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, Norman Bates says uh, that is, he describes his mother as as harmless as one of those stuffed birds. Uh, <laughs> oh, and, yeah, yeah. And he points up to the taxidermy uh, things there, you know, <laughs> foreshadowing what he has done with her in the state that she is in. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's. That's classic Hitchcock foreshadowing, and it's well, awesome. and uh, and also uh, this was a movie that I think I heavily dissected in college or something like that. But uh, but uh, the 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 British slang for uh, for women is birds, and mm. so uh, stuffing birds and everything is is exactly pointing to the fact that you know that he's going to be killing this bird later yeah. on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, in Chinatown, there is a, uh, a point where, where Faye Dunaway is talking to Jack Nicholson in a car and, and she gets exasperated or something and her head hits the horn and real briefly. And, and she's like, you know, you know, like, Oh, what, what's silly me or whatever, which foreshadows later when the car, when she's driving off with her daughter, her sister, her daughter, his sister, her daughter, um, <laughs> when she's driving away with her uh, in the car and the car gets into the wreck and you hear the horn just on a constant honk. After oh, nice. Um, and it's her head, of course, just laying on the, on the, on the horn. 
See, Look at you, you pulling excellent without yeah. any prep. Man, you should stop doing prep altogether. There's like a there's 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 a million that I think are fun. You know, you have the uh, you know uh, Morgan Freeman and Shawshank Redemption. So the the you know these are just shitty pipe dreams, and, <laughs> yeah. and uh, Tim Robbins ends up crawling through 500 yards of shit to those dreams later on. Uh, I, I I do like that. We always pick on foreshadowing and in, in uh in cinema sins because it's just fun it, i think if if you're really clued into what we're doing we're just pointing it out and just having fun <laughs> we don't care that it's for we love that it's foreshadowing yeah but we want to point it out and say hey look how smart we are we found that shit <laughs> fuck you guys um so anyway <laughs> That's going to do it for this week. It's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Sher. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Oh my God. I'm just now scrolling down on the email list and saw that you had written down middle ditch and Schwartz, Jeremy. I'm sorry. About uh, no, it's all good. Uh, yeah. Well, I, when, when you, when you brought that up, I was like, wasn't that what Jeremy wrote down? I and then, and then I looked too. over at yours and you're like Fiona Apple and, uh, <laughs> well, some I, other I fucking thing. because, uh, because the, uh, you know, I wanted it to be cinematic. Or, or the only person I care about is Fiona Apple. And if you're not Fiona Apple, I don't give a rat's ass. <laughs> I listen to a lot of uh, satellite radio on the way down and the way back. Uh, yeah. And I really wanted to listen to a lot of Alt Nation. But I find myself going to that lithium channel constantly, dude. Yeah, I would got- sit through a bush... And a uh, sublime song. Oh, <laughs> uh, you got more of that edge to you than I do. I can only hit lithium when like three or four other channels are playing some shit, and I'll catch a good song. Yeah. You grouping sublime in with Bush? I, bands that I bands that I don't like. <laughs> okay, like. I heard that Silverchair oh. song that you're tear tomorrow. Yeah. And I uh, sat through that. And, I mean, like, Sublime it really so much nostalgia that I like. It. Sublime only had like three songs, really. Yeah, and they yeah, had two versions of one that. song. Yeah, I hate Sublime. So you don't like? You don't even like that? Life is too short to so love the one you got. So you might get run over, or you might get shot. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how so, I feel about Bush. So there. That's how I feel about Bush's first album. The second album rules. You like Razorblade Suitcase? Yeah, I'm the only person in the universe that prefers the second. Album. No, I don't know. I, I, I think I like Razorblade Suitcase better too. That first one's got a lot of like it's it's the post grunge. Uh, why we got Nickelback movement when Bush came in? You know, there's no sex in violence. Sixteen Stone is one of those. Is one of those. I, I instantly get uh, Jesus Mary three. Uh, vibes when i hear that 16 stone stuff Razorblade suitcase has got some good shit on it yeah it does greedy fly yeah. is fucking awesome yeah man no there's a lot of like musicianship going on in Razorblade suitcase i have four fiona apple, apple albums title when the pawn 
The Idler Wheel, which is another. Idler like, Wheel one. is the one in uh, 2012. And then the Fetch the Bolt Cutters. I don't know what the other one is. Extraordinary Machine that came out yeah, okay. in 2005. Do not have that. You've one. heard, you've heard a song from there because it was played on satellite radio around that time. Uh, it ended bad, but I love where we started. It said stop, but I went on wholehearted. It ended bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Parting I have heard that. Is what it's called. Uh, I have definitely heard that. And that one's not as good of an album start to finish as the next two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that song fucking kills. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I think Toad the Wet Sprocket's Dulcinea beats all of them. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> Is that the one with uh, All I Want and uh, Walking the Ocean? I don't no, remember. <laughs> no, I think that one, That the more famous Toad the Wet Sprocket album is... Uh, God, what is that one called? Um, I think I, re- I would remember it if I had like a week. <laughs> I'm looking it up. Uh, Dulcinea also... is the one that uh, Fear is their first album. Um, yeah, that's right. But Dulcinea, um, yeah, Fall Down. Um, Fall <clears throat> Down. I like that song. Yeah. Uh, but that they had a poster in the mm-hmm. basement in the movie Tag mm-hmm. at Ed Helms's childhood house. They had a Dulcinea uh, <laughs> poster. Before you were born, someone kicked in the doors. <laughs> there is no place for you anymore. Oh, I had a big toad that sprocket phase, and that led me into my um, Dada phase. Um, but I never, I never went hard like that. Bush, Candlebox, Live, none of that shit. Hard. <laughs> I'm saying, I'm saying for for rock. They're not, right, not right, calling right. them hard rock. I I'm just you. saying I the harder edge of rock and roll. I think uh, this is this is how how much the music industry has changed. I believe Candlebox had a platinum album. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Their first album was platinum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw them open for Rush. Oh wow! Um, You've gone and, to like more concerts than most any single human being, I think. Uh, I have gone to a lot. Yes, I've seen there, there, and and so many of the opening bands that I've seen went on to be bigger, uh, like Radiohead before REM. Um, that yeah, was, I remember that show. Yeah, um, but like, uh, yeah, I've been to a lot. The the in 1996, I was at, I almost had paid rent at Starwood Amphitheater. <laughs> um, yeah, and there are a lot of bands that you know are regrettable that I went to go see. But um, I feel like I've been seeing you guys a lot lately. <laughs> I know. Mm-hmm. I was going to do the Back to the Future joke. I feel like we were just here yesterday. Mm-hmm. You were here yesterday, Marty. You were. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just gave Doc Brown a British accent. I did. <laughs> you did. Well, there's, he- a, there's a great episode of Friends. I may have told you this story, but uh, you can cut this if I have, where Joey is taking over for Susan Sarandon on a soap opera. And he's going to be her brain inside of his former character's body. And so she's trying to teach him how to be her, how to act like Jessica Lockhart. And the first Joey line that he does is, Jessica Lockhart will never set foot in here again. And (laughs) Susan Sarandon goes, well, Jessica doesn't have an English accent. And Joey goes, I could do an English accent? I'm putting that on the resume. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's bizarre that they went back to that well. Because wasn't Ross, like, when he started to, to teach for the first time, didn't he affect a British accent? He did, on ac- like, out of nervousness, <laughs> yes. And then he tried to slowly phase it out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, Dan Arbach lives down the road from me. That's true. He does. I'll never lie, I'll never try, I'll never hold never you people. And you know, people. there were people who went to that rush concert and during Candlebox jumped up on the stage to get kicked out basically they came to see Candlebox and not rush that was crazy (laughs) i'm not even a rush fan but who the fuck would see Candlebox and be like oh screw it i don't know man Candlebox was the shit I did, uh, there was a, uh, a weird lineup in Louisville where we went to see Red Hot Chili Peppers, Foo Fighters, and a, a group named Blonde Redhead was opening for them. Now, mm-hmm. Blonde Redhead is like a super indie band, like lo-fi, shoegaze type of thing. And people just, the regular Foo Fighters slash Red Hot Chili Peppers fan base was not ready to accept them. But I could have gone just to see them because... Chili Peppers were not very good. Foo Fighters were awesome, though. Yeah, Foo Fighters were awesome. I saw them at um, uh, Bridgestone uh, a couple years ago. Um, oh, yeah? Yeah, they were awesome. Uh, I've seen Red Hot Chili Peppers, too, and I can't remember if it was Foo Fighters that opened for them during that. That was at Starwood. Um, it, if it was around 2000, 2001? Uh, could be. I don't I don't actually remember the year. It was. It was, it was probably around there. Now, Red Hot Chili Peppers, the performance was fine. They just had no interaction whatsoever. You could tell they didn't care that they were there. They were just like, you know, going through the motions. Remember when David Letterman used to introduce Foo Fighters and say, fighting for the rights of Foo everywhere? (laughs) I miss Letterman. Uh, I do too. Hey, remember when we can watch Hamilton whenever we want to starting Friday? That'll be awesome. Yep. Remember when that's in the past? Um, as far as when this episode comes out, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, and it'll 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 constantly be on in the background, probably. When I'm, oh my god, it will for me. It's I'm crazy. Break like, that it's shit. just gonna be on. It's just gonna be on all the time. <laughs> it'll it'll end, and then it'll be like, all right, replay, replay. You're gonna break that shit. How much do you think? How many new subscribers do you think Disney will get just from Hamilton? It's hard to know, but man, I'm telling you, this is the biggest Broadway hit of all time. And it is the biggest critical, <clears throat> critically acclaimed Broadway show of all time. They have got four sta- like standing shows throughout the world and two touring companies. And there are millions and millions that have not seen the original cast, like yes. us. Um, and many and, who have never been able to get to see it in the first place. Exactly. Yeah, can't even I see think, the, the performance. Like we'll never know, but I think it'll I think it'll spike by several million. Uh and they may lose all those people after they've gotten their fix, but not me. It'll Did be they, like friends for me. It's gonna be on every day. I don't uh have this off the top of my head, but did did they film that? during that cast run or did they reunite no they filmed uh, it before it. any of the cast left um, oh, okay so and this they actually, is original original cast yes and from what i understand they filmed three different performances um 
and stitched all the best shots oh, really? together. Yeah, to, to create that's the how best. That shit, that's how that's done. The, yeah. uh, the, uh, the, the first time I ever got acquainted with editing in college, the, uh, there was a class for the avid editor where they took three or four different Celine Dion performances and you could just splice them all together like they're the same show because she did all the same mannerisms and, <laughs> um, you know, all the same different, you know, like just, and I mean, obviously it's the same stage. Like you, you wouldn't be able to cut, cut this seamlessly. You see one stage and then like cut to something else. And it's like a completely different background and different <laughs> singers and shit. But, um, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that, yeah, that's the only way you really can do it because you could put a multi-camera thing out there that, that does one show, but you're going to miss some things. So you need to have, yeah. you need to have coverage, uh, for all of that stuff. And, um, yeah, it'll be cool. And have you seen the trailers? They got cameras all over the goddamn place. Yeah. They got <laughs> wide shots, close-ups. They got everybody turn it at the right moment to the camera. It's going to be badass. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to cut this. <laughs> Please give us your opinion. But we already know what we're going to do. <laughs> FYI. I'm, I think the thing is, is that you don't know what's best for us. <laughs> 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 <laughs>